Hong Kong plays by a different set of rules than other Chinese cities. Unlike the rest of China's population, who live under a repressive one-party state, Hong Kongers enjoy certain civil liberties and participate in a limited form of multi-party democracy. This has created tension between authoritarian China and relatively liberal Hong Kong, as China seeks to extend its control over the city and Hong Kong's residents seek to expand their democratic rights. In this episode, we'll explore in depth the political system of Hong Kong. We'll learn about who controls what power in the city, glean information about the source of the current unrest, and perhaps shed some light on how free Hong Kong really is, and for how long the freedom it does have will last. This is the World Politics Podcast. The British seized Hong Kong from Qing Dynasty China during the Opium Wars and expanded the colony further through a 99-year lease. When the lease was up, Britain agreed to cede all of Hong Kong back to China in exchange for an agreement stating that Hong Kong and China would be one country under two systems, meaning Hong Kong would keep its civil liberties and capitalist way of life. This agreement only lasts for 50 years, however, and in 2047, China will no longer be bound by the treaty to keep Hong Kong free and autonomous. Hong Kong's government has some similarities to that of the United States. It has multiple political parties which are allowed to compete for power. It is a founding document called the Basic Law, which defines and limits the government's power like the U.S. Constitution. And it has legislative, executive, and judicial branches with their own powers and responsibilities. How free and fair are the elections that the parties partake in, though? How robust is Hong Kong's quasi-constitution? And how well do the city's checks and balances work? The answers to these questions helps explain the strife which played out in Hong Kong's streets during the Umbrella Revolution in 2014 and again in the protests of 2019. To start, let's take a look at the factions vying for power. While there are many political parties in Hong Kong, there are three major camps which comprise the political landscape. The pro-Beijing camp, the pro-democracy camp, and the localist camp. The pro-Beijing camp falls on the conservative end of the political spectrum and puts their emphasis on the one country portion of the one country, two systems structure. They historically source much of their support from an interesting alliance of the corporate elite and leftists, but have increased their range of support in recent years to form a big tent conservative and Chinese nationalist coalition. They have always controlled both the executive and legislative branches of Hong Kong's government despite never gaining a majority of the vote. We'll see how when we discuss elections in Hong Kong. The pro-democracy camp is a liberal alliance of parties which push for civil rights and liberties and a free and fair democracy. They have a diverse set of political orientations, including both center-right and center-left beliefs. But they all agree that Hong Kong should be more democratic. They have consistently outperformed the pro-Beijing camp in vote totals, but remain in opposition due to the nature of Hong Kong's electoral system. 
The localist camp is the smallest camp. Like the pro-Democrats, they exist in opposition to the pro-Beijing faction, but are, in large part, more militant and nativist. Where the pro-Democrats generally seek nonviolent protest, many localists don't shy away from clashes with police. Localists also seek self-determination for Hong Kong, and some advocate for Hong Kong's independence. After a 2016 scandal, some localist politicians were barred from representing their constituents in the legislature, and the localist faction's political influence has been substantially curbed. So those are the groups competing for power. But what are the rules they compete under? Let's look at how elections for Hong Kong's legislative and executive branches are carried out. Hong Kong's legislature is called the Legislative Council, or LegCo. Half of the members of LegCo are elected through so-called geographic constituencies. These geographic constituencies elect members for each district through party list proportional representation with universal suffrage. This means that anyone in a district may vote in their district's elections for these councillors, and these seats in the legislature are given out proportionally to the parties based on the vote totals. So far this looks like a democratic system, but now we turn to functional constituencies. Functional constituencies comprise the other half of LegCo and are divided up not by district but by economic sector. Certain sectors of the economy get to vote for seats in these elections, and the entities who are counted as comprising these sectors is usually very limited. For example, there is the Finance Functional Constituency, which consists entirely of 125 banks, which vote as if they are people and not companies. This functional constituency scheme is the main factor which has kept pro-Beijing parties in power in LegCo, even while winning minorities of the vote, since Hong Kong's big businesses back them. What's more, candidates have been barred from running for LegCo seats due to their political beliefs. In 2016, several localist candidates were prevented from running because they would not sign a form saying that they believed that Hong Kong is a part of China. Now let's turn to the executive branch of Hong Kong's government. The executive branch is headed by the chief executive of Hong Kong. Anyone nominated to run for chief executive must be supportive of the Chinese government and to be elected, they must get a majority of support from a body called the Election Committee. The Election Committee is a 1,200-person body composed of members elected by a group that is similar to the functional constituencies. Most seats are determined by sectors of the economy. This means that the pro-Beijing camp has a huge advantage in the election of chief executive. The elected chief executive also must be approved by the government of China, giving the Chinese government veto power over whatever the results of the election are. Now let's look at the limits placed on the powers of the Hong Kong and Chinese governments regarding Hong Kong residents. The founding document of the Hong Kong Special Autonomous Region is the Basic Law. The Basic Law guarantees the citizens of Hong Kong many civil liberties, in a manner similar to the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution. 
Included in these rights are the freedom of speech and the freedom from unlawful imprisonment, both of which have been violated by China in recent years. One instance of these rights being violated was when five booksellers who had been selling material critical of the Chinese government and its leaders disappeared, one of whom, Li Bo, disappeared in Hong Kong. It was later revealed by one of the five booksellers, Lam Wenqi, who was released, that yes, China had abducted him for politically motivated reasons. The basic law also guarantees the judicial independence of Hong Kong. Despite this guarantee of judicial independence, in 2019, the government of Hong Kong attempted to pass a bill which would allow Hong Kong residents to be extradited to mainland China. This bill incited the 2019 Hong Kong protests. Perhaps the most important note about the civil rights and liberties of the people of Hong Kong is that they have a date on which they are set to expire in 2047. The future for Hong Kong's civil liberties looks bleak after 2047, and the city will likely be fully absorbed into the Chinese system. Finally, let's examine the checks and balances which exist in Hong Kong's government. Hong Kong's legislature is unicameral, which means it consists of only one house. Many countries like the United States have bicameral legislatures, meaning there are two houses. In the U.S., these are the House of Representatives and the Senate. The interesting thing about Hong Kong's legislature is that even though it is unicameral, it acts almost like a bicameral legislature when a law originates in the legislature. A law originating in the legislature needs a majority vote from both the geographic constituency seats and the functional constituency seats in order to go to the chief executive to be signed. However, when a law is suggested by the chief executive, then it only needs a simple majority of the LegCo to pass. In addition, the chief executive can veto legislation passed by LegCo, unless overridden by a two-thirds vote of LegCo. The courts of Hong Kong can challenge laws which are passed by the legislative and executive branches on the basis of their being incompatible with the basic law. The legislature may amend the basic law with a two-thirds vote, the consent of the chief executive, and the consent of two-thirds of Hong Kong's representatives to the Chinese National People's Congress. The government of China has the power to unilaterally interpret or amend the basic law as well. It can also prevent amendments which it judges to be in violation of the established basic policies of the People's Republic of China regarding Hong Kong. Does this mean that Hong Kong's politics are entirely a kabuki dance? that China allows only while it benefits them? Not entirely, because until 2047, China will not likely draw the ire of the international community by amending the basic law unilaterally. They have made commitments to the UK that one country, two systems, will exist until 2047, and the Western world would likely be enraged if China attempted to subvert the agreement entirely until then. An example of Western pressure on the issue of Hong Kong is Hong Kong's special trade status with the United States, different from that of mainland China. U.S. tariffs and trade restrictions are laxer towards Hong Kong, 
which is beneficial to both Hong Kong and China. The U.S. has used this special status as leverage on China and Hong Kong's governments, passing legislation in the wake of the 2019 protests requiring this status to be reviewed annually. If Hong Kong is deemed to be no longer sufficiently autonomous, the special trade status will disappear, and Hong Kong will trade under Chinese rules. So how free is Hong Kong? I would argue that freedom is a relative term. Hong Kong is certainly freer than mainland China, as they are mostly allowed to express themselves and take part in a democracy, albeit a highly flawed one. Hong Kong lives under Chinese control, though. Their political system is crafted to ensure that remains true. And notwithstanding some major shakeup in Hong Kong or China, they are destined to lose the taste of democracy and freedom that they have. Is Hong Kong truly free? Almost, but not for long. This has been the World Politics Podcast. Join me next week as we discuss the current political situation in Iraq. Until next time, thanks for listening.